morning. <laughs> Let's uh, we open up to Psalm 27. have it say amen (laughs) always wanted to say that you have it say amen what comes to your mind when you think of beauty if you were to think to yourself man She is absolutely beautiful, what would come to your mind. If someone were to say, that is a thing of beauty, what do you think of? Today we're going to speak on the topic of the beauty of Christ, and Lord willing, our God will help to shape and transform our ideas of what beauty is. Uh, Psalm 27, and I'm going to read from verse 1 to 6. This is God's word. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp around me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Let's pray. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Lord, we bless you this morning. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of worship. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to lift up our voices, to sing your praises. Lord, I thank you for the hymn writers of the past and the present that you've given such gifts to be able to Uh, articulately express the truth 
of who you are. Lord, we pray that you would reshape, redefine beauty for us this morning. And we pray that it would be according to the scriptures, Lord. May your word transform us. May our minds be renewed. Lord, we give this time to you and we bless you in the name of the most beautiful person in the universe, Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the things about the life of King David is that his life was characterized by seemingly endless conflict. David, from his childhood, seemed like he was always in some kind of beef, whether it was like uh, Pastor Deuce prayed concerning the bears and the lions that he was fighting with as a little boy, whether it was uh, uh, Goliath, uh, the giant that he fought with as, uh, as a young man, teenager, whether it was Saul who was chasing him, trying to kill him, chasing him down to his death, whether it was Absalom, his own son, uh, who came after him. It seemed like David's life was filled with continuous conflict and beef. It kind of reminds me of uh, a lot of hip-hoppers on, on the secular side. It seems like a lot of hip-hop cats are constantly, every time you turn around, man, he made a song dissing him. Oh, man, he just dissed him back. Wait a minute. How was he beefing with him? Like, he, like two years ago, he made a song with him dissing that other guy. How did it seems like this, like, always constant beef. Well, one of the things that we see in this text is that we get to see David's response in the midst of beef, in the midst of conflict. Um, and, and one of the things that's striking about this text is that David is filled with a lot of confidence. He's a very confident man. In verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is, my, is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David was not fearing man. Uh, there was nothing, as much as the, the armies, the Philistines, were risen up against him, as much as they were coming after him, seeking to take his life, David had this supreme confidence in the Lord. The reason why, uh, we see, he says, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. Of whom, shall I be, of whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David knew his God. He knew his God well enough to not fear man, because why should you fear man when you have an omnipotent, all-powerful God on your side? It says, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. David recognized that because he belonged to the Lord, God was for him. And when God is for him, who can be against him? God, David knew that God is a God who confounds his enemies. David knew that God is a God who uh, confuses those who come against God's people and a God who uses people's own devices and wickedness against them. David knew this. It says in verse 3, Though an army encamp around me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will 
be confident. It didn't matter how big, uh, how many people were coming up against him, how big the odds were. David had supreme confidence in his God. What I want to look at this morning is the key to David's confidence, which I believe we find in verse 4. The key to his confidence. You have to imagine this. Now, we're not sure which, which particular beef is, uh, is in view here. It's one of the many of his life. But one of the things that uh, strikes me about this passage is that in the midst of all kinds of danger, in the midst of all kinds of trouble, hardship, persecution, everything coming at his neck, David has a very interesting prayer request. Verse 4, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. Now you would think with somebody coming after him, trying to kill him, that it would be reasonable to say, one thing I seek after is protection from my enemies. That, That would be reasonable. One thing I seek after is some strong men to stand with me against these armies so we can fight them. That would be reasonable. But David doesn't say that. David says, the one thing that I will seek after is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. David understood that to be with God, to be in the presence of God, was enough for him to strengthen him against any challenge that he might have in his life. Now, we know that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He fills heaven and earth. However, there is a sense in which he's more present in some places than others. So in other words, he's more present in heaven than he is on earth. He, he was more present in the nation of Israel than he was in other nations of the world. Within Israel... He was more present. There was a sense in which he was more present in Jerusalem than all the other cities of Israel. And in Jerusalem, there was a sense in which he was more present in the temple than he was in every other place in Jerusalem. And even within the temple, there was a sense in which he was more present in the holy, the most holy place than he was in other places in the temple. And so. When, when David is speaking about dwelling in the house of the Lord, he's speaking about being in the place where the, the manifest or where the presence of the Lord is made manifest. And notice what he wants to do there. He doesn't just want to go just to be there because it's a good place to be. He wants to go there in order to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. As I said, today, the topic is the beauty of Christ. Now, first thing I want to do is define beauty. Because when, uh, when, when this culture speaks of beauty, a lot of different things come to mind. I want to give the, dif- def- the dictionary definition of beauty. Having qualities, this is the first definition, having qualities that delight the senses especially the sense of sight. 
having qualities that delight the senses, especially the sense of sight. I think that's the most common definition of beauty, uh, something that, that uh, delights the physical senses. Now, there's a second definition, which I think gets a little bit more closely to the biblical understanding, uh, but even though it's not all the way there, the second definition is the quality present in a thing or person that gives intense pleasure or deep satisfaction to the mind. I'll read that again. The quality present in a thing or person that gives intense pleasure or deep satisfaction to the mind. What we want to do is we want to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. We don't want to take our P's and Q's from culture concerning what beauty is, but we want to take our P's and Q's from the scriptures. And so uh, what I want to do is is briefly attempt to unfold a a biblical understanding of what beauty is. And I I think this is very, uh, very important and relevant for our lives today. A biblical understanding of beauty. The first thing we should understand about beauty is that beauty is an essential attribute of God. And this is one of the things I was telling Pastor Deuce. I was rocked at the Covenant Community class a few weeks back when we were talking about the attributes of God. And we got to to beauty, and I was just floored. Because a lot of times when we think about the attributes of God, you know, the things that come to mind are his love, his righteousness, his justice, his faithfulness, things of that nature, and praise God, <laughs> that, that's who he is. But we rarely, I know for me, I rarely think about his beauty as being something that is an essential attribute of his, something that belongs to his person as much as any other attribute of God. It says in Psalm 50, verse 2, it says, Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Zion being symbolic of the dwelling place of God. I thought about that. Man, the perfection of beauty? We don't even have any categories for perfect beauty. All beauty that we encounter in this life is imperfect, is blemished. But God himself is perfect in beauty. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 17 says, For how great is his goodness and how great his beauty. And so beauty is an essential aspect, essential characteristic, essential attribute of God's character. It's who he is. He is objectively beautiful. See, when it comes to God, beauty is not in the eye of the beholder when it comes to God. God is beautiful. He, he defines what beauty is. So we can only understand beauty as it relates to God himself. God is the source of all beauty in the same way that he's the source of every other virtue. So just like, you know, God is truth, like he is the truth. A thing is not, a, a, a thing is true only as much as it conforms to who God is. God is not subject to uh, any, any outside standard or law, but he himself is the law. He is the standard. And so when we think about 
beauty, I have a, a helpful quote from Matthew Henry, old Puritan cat. He says this, his holiness is his beauty. His holiness is his beauty. The harmony of all his attributes is the beauty of his nature. With an eye of faith and holy love, we with pleasure behold this beauty and observe more and more in it that is amiable, that is admirable. When with fixedness of thought and the holy flame of devout affections, we contemplate God's glorious excellencies and entertain ourselves with the tokens of his particular favor to us, This is that view of the beauty of the Lord that David in this passage covets, and that is to be had in his ordinances, for there he manifests himself. So it's the sum total of all that God is, which is related to his holiness and his beauty. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, 29, it says this, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor, the the King James says, the beauty of holiness. The beauty of holiness. Psalm 96, verse 9. Worship the Lord in the splendor or beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. And so it's it's the uniqueness of God. It's the otherness of God, that which sets him apart from everything that he has made that we're talking about when we're talking about the beauty of God. Y'all with me? Okay. As I said before, all other beauty is derived. God is the source. All beauty that we see is a stream, but God is the ocean of beauty. All beauty that we see in this life is a shadow. God is the reality. All beauty that we see is an echo, but the sound is actually coming from God himself. All beauty that we see in this life is watered down, but God is the concentrate. (laughs) Now, in light of these things, the thing that bugs me out is, man, we're talking about God being beautiful. The scriptures teach that God is a God of beauty, but yet, At the same time, God is invisible. God is invisible. He's the essence of beauty, but yet he can't be seen with the physical eyes. That should tell us something about the nature of beauty. God defines what beauty is, but yet he can't be seen. What does this tell us about beauty? I believe that it means the essence of true beauty is spiritual rather than physical. The essence of true beauty is spiritual rather than physical. Now, God's beauty, as well as all of his other attributes, are seen most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. If you want to know what God is like, Look no further than the incarnate God, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. God is invisible, yet Colossians 1.15, speaking of Jesus Christ, says, He is the image of the invisible God, 
That is, what God is in and of himself, in his totality, Jesus Christ is the physical manifestation of all that is in God. If you want to know what God is like, look no further than Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, speaking of Jesus Christ, he has made him known. The Lord Jesus Christ has explained the Father to us. If we want to know what God is like, we look no further than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so because Jesus is God and everything that's true of the Father is true of the Son, Jesus Christ is the epitome of beauty. But yet, Isaiah 53 verse 2 says, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. The Lord Jesus Christ was slept on when he came to this planet. The Lord Jesus Christ came on the low in such a way that people missed it. They were looking for something outward, some outward show of beauty, and Jesus didn't have that. So how do we see the beauty of Jesus Christ? I would submit that the beauty of Christ is seen first and foremost in his character. It's seen in his character. And this, this is not going to be an exhaustive thing, but I just want to point out a couple of ways that we see the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. First, Jesus Christ is beautiful in his humility. He's beautiful in his humility. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 says, Though he was in the form of God, Jesus Christ, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The Lord Jesus Christ, being God, being, having everything that uh, is in God, in himself, he lowered himself, and, and, and this, is, this is absolutely amazing that God, the infinite God, could squeeze himself into a fetus, <laughs> And take on a body like like how, like how do you get someone who is so big, like like the heavens and the earth, like their dust in his sight? He's so huge. He's everywhere at once, and he squeezes himself into a body. That's amazing. What humility! Not only did he squeeze himself into human form, but it was lowly human form. He, did, he didn't come rowdy and wilding in a, in a king's palace, even though he owned everything and everything was his. He came humble in a manger. His earthly estate was very, very low. That's his humility. If you continue to look in Philippians chapter 2, you see that his humility is seen in the way that he died, taking the death of a cross, the most shameful way of execution ever imagined by the hands of sinful man. The Lord Jesus Christ is not only beautiful in his humility, he's beautiful in his wisdom. This is something we've been seeing in the book of John as we've gone through um, verse by verse 
man, how wise is the Lord Jesus Christ? The way he continually over and over confounds the Pharisees. The very moment they think they got him in a trap, boom, he gets out of it. And not only gets out of it, but he gets out of it in a way that just blows everybody's tops. In a way that keeps them silent. They can't even, can't even say anything. He's beautiful in his wisdom. And this is because, Colossi, as Colossians chapter 2, verse 3 says, in Jesus Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Again, all wisdom that we see on an earthly level is derived. It's a derivative wisdom. Jesus Christ himself is the ocean of wisdom. He's beautiful in his truthfulness and his honesty. First Peter chapter 2, verse 22 says, The Lord Jesus Christ committed no sin, and neither was deceit found in his mouth. Jesus Christ never lied. He only spoke the truth. He spoke the truth all the time. Everything that he said was true. He never said anything that wasn't true. He was never dishonest, never had shifty motives about anything that he said. He didn't speak the right thing with the wrong motive. But everything that he spoke was absolutely honest, absolutely true, and absolutely trustworthy. The Lord Jesus is beautiful in his power and his compassion. Turn with me to Luke chapter 5. And we see two examples of this. Luke chapter 5, verse 12. As Pastor Deuce was speaking about earlier, it's one thing to have power, and it's another thing to have compassion, and it's another thing to combine the two. So you can, so you can have power, like you can, you can have the ability to do something, but just no desire to do it, and so it won't get done. Or you can have the desire to do something, but you're just powerless to actually do something about it. In the Lord Jesus Christ, we see this perfect uh, combination of power and compassion. The book of Luke, chapter 5, verse 12. It says, while, while he, speaking of Jesus, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. Simple as that. I think about that. A lot of times we can, we can remove the text from, um, from real life, and it can just seem to be uh, uh, kind of more like a movie or, or more like something mythical. Uh, but you have to imagine a man who was sitting there as a leper, who was a complete outcast from society, who had a a disgusting skin disease where perhaps fingers may have fell off. Uh, his wounds were perhaps bleeding and stinking. He was pronounced ceremonially unclean. He, he was banished away from his family. He was, he was powerless. He was an outcast, absolutely shunned. And he cries out to the Lord Jesus Christ, if only you're willing, if you're willing, I will be made clean. And I just picture the Lord Jesus Christ smiling when everybody else was running away from this dude, when everybody else was, get away from me, unclean. I picture the Lord Jesus Christ smiling and saying, I am willing. Be clean. That's a perfect combination of power and compassion. 
It's beautiful. We see it again in, in Luke chapter 7, verse 13. And actually, I started verse 11, Luke 7, 11. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his, with his, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier. And the bearer stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Again, you see that compassion mixed with power. Consider this widow. Widows at that time, absolutely excluded. Again, absolutely powerless. This woman was made a widow at least she had a son, a son who could provide for her financially, but in, even he was taken away from her. So not only does she have the, the grief of a mother who has lost her son, but she, her only son, it says, but she also has the concern of how am I going to get through the rest of my life? And Jesus Christ comes and he says, it says he had compassion on her. Don't cry. And then he has the power to bring about what his compassion desires to do. No other place is the beauty of Christ seen more clearly than in the cross. In the cross, we have the full display <laughs> of the beauty of Christ. What's more beautiful than someone dying for his enemies? What's more beautiful than someone taking the uh, horrific, absolutely uh, excruciating torture and torment on behalf of those who don't deserve it? We see his beauty as he cries out these cries of compassion from the cross. What's more beautiful than God, Jesus Christ himself on the cross, saying to the thief who knows that he deserves to die and repents right there on the cross, and he says, today, I'll tell you the truth, today you're going to be with me in paradise. What's more beautiful than Jesus crying out, Father, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing in the midst of his agony. What's more beautiful than the Lord Jesus Christ committing his mom to the Apostle John and saying, Apostle John, take care of her. She's your mother. Looking out. He's looking out for her. If any time was the time for him to say, you know what, I'm going through some things right now. I can't be bothered. That would have been the time. But in the midst of his agony, he's looking out for the interests of others. 
This is the, the power. He's so beautiful in his power because he never used, he always used his power for the benefit of others. We get weak, weak displays of what power is. Power, it's a universal saying, power corrupts. What we tend to do when we get power is we abuse it. But the Lord Jesus Christ is beautiful in his power because he always used it for the benefit of others. He's beautiful in the cross. He's beautiful in the cross. He's beautiful as he experiences the torment of hours of separation from the Father at the end of which he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The cross wasn't an accident. The cross wasn't something that just happened by happenstance. (laughs) The cross was designed. It was specifically designed by God to bring glory to God and to bring salvation for his people. And the Lord Jesus Christ is beautiful in it. And so with that said, I want to talk about how the beauty of Jesus Christ exposes some things. So this is what we're talking about. God is beautiful, right? A biblical worldview says that beauty, God defines what beauty is, yet beauty, yet God is invisible. And so what that tells us is that the essence of beauty is rather is spiritual rather than physical. And, and so therefore we see that the beauty of God is seen most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. And so now I want to talk about how the beauty of Jesus exposes some things. Now, the, the world's, the first thing that, ex, that it exposes is the world's way of looking at things as far as beauty is concerned. See, the world says that beauty is based on outward appearance. It's a saying in our day, image is everything. But the scriptures teach, as we've seen, that beauty is spiritual. The world says that beauty is based on looks, primarily and only in most cases. But the scriptures teach that beauty is based on character. In Proverbs chapter 31, verse 30, it says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. We're going to, get to, the, sister. We're going to get to the sisters in a second. <laughs> and I, got, I got something to say to the sisters and to the brothers today <laughs> about, about this topic. But beauty is vain. That word there is, is, is vanity. It's, it's the wind. Why is that? Because it's passing away. All physical beauty is passing away. Everybody, from the day that you're born, you're on a collision course with death. <laughs> and with rottenness, and with a corpse. (laughs) You have a few, your future is a corpse. And so I don't care how much makeup you put on it. I don't care how dope your weave is. (laughs) I don't care how much lipstick. It don't matter. Like, eventually you're going to be a corpse. And the worms are going to, they're going to eat you as cute as you are right now. They're going to eat you just like they they ate everybody else who died. All physical beauty is passing away. It's fleeting. It won't be sustained. It's passing away. 
But godly character, on the other hand, it only increases. Godly character doesn't decrease, it increases. By God's grace, by his spirit, we grow more and more in godliness, more and more into being conformed into the image of Christ. That's why godly character is to be prized above physical beauty. Now, the, the ridiculousness of how the world views beauty is reflected in the choices that the world makes. Oftentimes, people will get together with others that they find attractive simply because they find them attractive. On the college campuses, we have what's called the hookup culture, the culture of hookups. That is, let's go to a party, let's get the keg, let's drink. I look over here, I see her, or she looks over there, she sees him and says, oh, he's cute, let's hook up. That's how the world does it. Oftentimes in the world, People will get together with someone, not primarily because of even like for their own beauty's sake, for the sake of the beauty of the person, but only to boost their own ego. Only because, man, like I'm, I'm kind of hurt, and, but if I get with this person, they make me look good by walking down the street with them. And so it can feed my ego by being with this person. This is... Uh, just a ridiculous, worldly way of looking at, be- at beauty. See, there's danger in images. Our cultures, images everything is one of the biggest lies. Image is not everything. Image is two-dimensional by definition. In other words, if I hold up a picture, all you're going to see is the front of the picture. All you're going to see is the surface. What 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 Satan attempts to do is to remove beauty, remove physical beauty from its context. And see, and and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that there's not a such thing as physical beauty because there is. All I'm saying is that the essence of beauty is spiritual. And so you can't properly say that someone is beautiful if all you're looking at is an image. If beauty is spiritual, you can't say you know what, she's beautiful, only by looking at her, because you don't have enough information, according to the scriptures. You you don't have enough information. Now, as you get to know someone, and as you begin to see godliness reflected in their life, then you'll be able to say, truthfully, that that's a beautiful person. But, again, what Satan does is, he removes, you know, it, it's, it's never a complete lie when it comes to Satan. It, it, there's always a hint of truth in it. And so he'll take the truth of physical beauty and then remove it from its context of what the Bible speaks of as beauty, which is spirituality. And our whole culture is saturated with this. That's all you see in the movies, on television, magazines. It's an industry that thrives off of image, that thrives off of an incomplete picture of beauty. The beauty of Jesus Christ exposes worldly ways of looking at beauty for what it is. The beauty of Jesus also exposes the idolatry of Christians. 
The beauty of Jesus exposes the idolatry of Christians. We all have idolatrous tendencies when it comes to our relationship to beauty. And I'm going to talk about um, females. I'm going to talk about males. Um, And uh, I make this distinction because I think, I believe that we struggle with the issue of beauty in two unique but related kinds of ways. Females, I'm going to start with the sisters. Ladies first. Amen. (laughs) I'm going to need some protection. Uh, Where's the armor bearers at? Females are tempted to make an idol out of beauty. Females are tempted tempted to make an idol out of beauty. That is, they're tempted to make an idol out of being desired. And so oftentimes what women, women have been trained as a child from, from childhood up to see these images, these images, these two-dimensional images, and then desire that because they see that everybody goes after those images. And so what women will do is they'll long, after, they'll long to be like what they see in that image. Now, this takes on many different forms. I don't even have time to go through the different forms that this takes on in women. But one is, a, and, and this is how you can know if, if this is a temptation for you, if you don't know already. One would be, do you have a preoccupation with fashion magazines? Do you have a preoccupation with fashion magazines? There's a reason why it's called Vanity Fair. <laughs> are you ordering Miss and L and Cosmopolitan? And, and are you spending more time in that, in that than you are in the Word of God? That, 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 might, that might be an indicator that you have an have a issue. Do you have an unhealthy concern with your looks? An unhealthy concern with your looks. How much time do you spend in front of the mirror? Is your main concern this summer how cute you're going to look in that outfit? Now, I'm not talking about just being concerned. It's okay to be concerned about your looks. I'm talking about an unhealthy concern for your looks. Are you, do you spend so much time getting ready that you make yourself late? Do you, do you miss appointments? Are you late for showing up at stuff that you should be at because you couldn't pick the right pair of shoes? I'm talking about unhealthy, an unhealthy concern. This might be an indicator that you're making an idol out of beauty and being desired. Another indicator, are you immodest in your dress? Are you immodest in your dress? Do you put your clothes on in order to attract people? Not to, see, there's a difference between 
expressing your femininity, which is a gift from God, and praise God for that, and dressing in order to tempt people. What goes into your mind? Are you, I'm talking to Christians here. I ain't talking to the world. See, the world, the world, just, the world don't care. Shake what your mama gave you is what the world says. The world says if you got it, flaunt it. You got to use what you got to get what you want. That's what the world says. And it grieves me. It bugs me out when I see, I, I see people walking down the street and I'll see a couple, a dude with this girl, and his girl is like half naked. I'm like, how, like how, how can that make you feel good? Like your girl is on display. For, like that's, that's stuff that only you should be seeing. Why, like, like what is that? That's the world. I'm talking about Christian sisters. Are you seeking to reflect modesty? First Peter chapter three speaks to this. First Peter three, three and four says, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of your hair, the wearing of gold or the putting on of clothing. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. You see that difference? See, the world says, let, let your adorning all be external. <laughs> Do everything externally to flaunt what you have. But, but, God, but the word of God, the word of God says, no, that shouldn't be your primary focus. That what you should be known by is not she's cute, but she's godly. Let... Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Again, true, true beauty is imperishable. True beauty increases rather than decreases. Are you cultivating a gentle and quiet spirit? I, I, uh, uh, wow. A gentle and quiet spirit. Any guy will tell you, ladies, man, there's nothing more unattractive on a woman than a woman who is quarrelsome, a woman who is argumentative, a woman who got a whole lot of mouth. Unattractive. So, so if, you, like, it, like, if you think you can, because the temptation is to think that you can be attractive to others by asserting yourselves. And being dominant, that's the f- quickest way to push, somebody, push a dude away. And I know, because I'm a dude. And I talk to dudes. <laughs> Proverbs, chapter 21, verse 9. It is better to live on, in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Now, I know some brothers want to say amen, but they're not. But I know, I know some internal amens going on. It is better to, it's better to be out on the, on the roof with the driving rain and winds than it is to be under that roof with a wife that's beefing with you all the time. Unattractive. <laughs> I'm gonna let that sit for a second. 
Proverbs 21, 19. It's better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. So we, we get in two types of, of topo- topographies. We get, we're getting the rooftop of the house and we're getting the desert. Both of those places are better than with a woman who's argumentative and quarrelsome and beefing all the time. Christian women are called to cultivate, by God's grace, a gentle and quiet spirit. That's attractive, ladies. Single ladies, man, you want to get married? I'm sure that desire is there. That's a good desire. Dress modestly and see what kind of dudes you attract. Because, see, anybody can attract a dog by dressing immodestly. Men are visual creatures. We see, we see something and pant after it. But not anybody can draw. See, what kind of man do you want to attract? That's the other thing. Do you want to attract just a man? Or do you want to attract a godly man? Because godly men like First Peter 3 women. Godly men like women who spend, like, Amen. Spend your time in the mirror, honey. That's what's up. Do your thing. Do, do your thing thing. As a female, I appreciate your femininity. But man, please spend more time in the text. <laughs> please, please spend more time. A godly man wants a woman. Trust me. A godly man wants a woman who spends more time in the scriptures than she does in Cosmopolitan. Proverbs eleven twenty two. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. It's ugly. I remember before I was saved, oh man. The thing that turned, one of the things that turned me off before I, before I was a Christian, turns me off now as well, but a woman who, who is attractive, who has a potty mouth, cursed like a sailor. Like no matter how much I might have been feeling her, before she opened up her mouth, But then when she did, it was like, oh, it's like the screeching on the chalkboard. In the same way, a woman who is beautiful but is not godly characters, not being cultivated in her, so unattractive. So unattractive. Let me talk about the brothers real quick. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to get off the ladies. We're We're talking about... The beauty of Jesus Christ exposing our idolatrous tendencies when it comes to beauty. Brothers, we have to repent of our shallowness. We have to repent of our shallowness. Men have done the dumbest things known to man simply because a woman looks good. Now, I'm talking about Christian men right now. Do not, brothers, do not simply make your choices of who you're going to pursue based only on outer appearance. That's foolishness. See, oftentimes what we'll do as men is we'll see someone who looks good and then 
we'll start giving them credit for godliness. Like, man, like we know, we know that she's really carnal and worldly, but because she looks good, man, she prays. You know, she said grace. She prays. We'll give women who look good credit for godliness. We'll deceive ourselves into thinking they're more godly than they are simply because they please our eyes. What men will do is we'll fall in love with an image. We'll meet someone, don't really even, or we'll just see someone, not even get a chance to talk to them, but in our minds, make up this whole history about who they are. It's an image. Brothers, we need to repent of that. We need to get a biblical view of what beauty is and pursue the women who are 1 Peter 3 type women, or who, are, who are at least pursuing to be a 1 Peter 3 type of woman. One way, brothers, you can know whether or not this is a temptation for you, if, if you're not already convinced, what's going on with your eyes? What are you doing with your eyes? What are your eyes looking at? We're visual creatures. Where it's, it's, it's because God has put it within us to pursue, and God has made women look good <laughs> to be pursued, there's a natural pursuing desire within men. But that desire should be reserved for a wife. We should not be spending our eyes looking and gazing at everything under the sun. What's going on with your eyes? What do you gaze at? Both men and women, we both need to repent. Christian men and women need to repent of our worldly views of beauty. So as we, as we bring it in and, and, and turn back to Psalm 27, just want to ask yourself, test yourself by this doctrine. Test yourself. In verse 4, David says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Is that your heart this morning? Do you desire to be among the people of God? Do you desire to be where God is? If God is doing something, you want to be there. Is that you? Again, that definition the beauty, the, 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 the dictionary definition, beauty, the quality present in a thing or person that gives intense pleasure or deep satisfaction to the mind. Is this true about you concerning God? Does God give you intense pleasure and deep satisfaction as you contemplate him, as you consider him? And I'm talking about the difference between being in the faith and not being in the faith here. Like, this, this is not optional. It's, it's not like, okay, there's some Christians who don't see any beauty in Jesus, and then others who do. No, all Christians, to some degree, have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. All Christians, to some degree, 
though it may not be as it should be, we look at Jesus as he's portrayed in the scriptures through the eyes of faith, and we find him to be beautiful. How much time do you spend looking at Jesus through faith in the scriptures? That could be an indicator of where you are. Where are you this morning? Is he beautiful to you? The cry of the heart of God's children is found in 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but what, what we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. All God's kids long to see Jesus Christ. That the, What David is crying out for, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, that is our heart cry. That's all we want. If Oh, man, God, I just want to see you. What will it be like to behold the risen Christ for eternity? That's what the children of God pant after. Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse 10 says that that when Jesus comes, he's going to come to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. We're only going to marvel then if we're marveling to some degree now. Are you marveling at the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? David understood that when having a proper understanding of beauty, when gazing upon the beauty of the Lord or or meditating upon his person, that gave him the strength to endure the challenges that he was faced with. Oftentimes our tendency is when the hard things press in upon us, our tendency, our sinful tendency is to run away from God. But God is calling us in the midst of your danger, in the midst of your trouble, run to him. Find delight in him. Find your satisfaction in him. Be satisfied in God. He closes it out in verse 6. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. David trusted in God. He trusted in God for a deliverance and for a victory that he couldn't see. But yet his eyes were fixed and focused on God himself, and that was enough for him. And in looking at God, in trusting in God, God himself brought David the victory over his enemies. And so as we close and as I get ready to pray, my prayer is that we would, by God's grace, cultivate a a desire cultivate, uh, uh, that God would cultivate in us a longing for true beauty, which is found in Jesus Christ. And may he increase our appetites for him. May he increase our delight and our satisfaction in him. And as we trust in him, May he show himself to be strong on our behalf.
Let's pray.